Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Ladies, your workouts are about to get an upgrade. The new Inspire leggings by Kalia are exactly what you want when it comes to activewear. It's their most versatile collection yet. They look good, feel good, and stay put. Using Lycra Adaptive Fiber, it compresses and molds to the body like a second skin. And it's unbelievably stretchy, so you can move however you want. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. A ghost town is the skeleton of a place that was once pulsing with life. It is a place that holds not only one story, but many. What once was filled with the sounds of people working, laughing, and playing now only produces the sounds of wind, dust, and creaking wood. If you were to chance walking through one of these towns, you will step back in time, and you may not be alone. You may get an eerie feeling of being watched. You may see shadows or movements out of the corner of your eye. The stories of wild, hairy beasts, monsters, and mutilation were born in one of these small towns in Alaska, and most people are too afraid to go there. They fear what may still be lurking in the abandoned mines, buildings, and even the wilderness surrounding Portlock, Alaska. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week we are discussing the mysterious ghost town of Portlock, Alaska. What lurks in the forest that terrified a whole community into abandoning their homes almost overnight? This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Walking home from school for Leia went from mundane and routine to terrifying. After all, it was the 1940s and everyone walked everywhere most of the time. But now there was nowhere in town or out that you could go without looking over your shoulder or jump at every snapping twig. Leah lived in a small town in Alaska, located on a peninsula where the water sparkled all throughout the day. It was a picturesque location, with a beautiful bay that had mountain peaks lining the edge of the horizon and forest as far as the eye can see. There had been a lot of strange things happening over the last few weeks, disturbing this peace and beauty. Leah's uncle, just a few days earlier, 
had been out in the woods hunting with his dogs. The dogs had suddenly become nervous and started barking. Instead of calming the dogs and taking them home, he let them loose and followed them deeper into the woods. After only a couple of minutes, the dogs cornered something. When her uncle caught up with them, he said he saw a tall, hairy creature. Just as he began calling for the dogs, who seemed to have the creature pinned against a rock wall, it bent down and picked one of the dogs up by the neck and threw it towards him. He ducked and stumbled. As he regained his stance, he heard a thud and a whimper as the dog hit what he thought was possibly a tree. He didn't have time to investigate, because before he could react, something powerful slammed into his chest. Later that evening, two hunters found her uncle face down in the forest, barely alive. They took him back to town to be treated, but soon after he died. His chest had been crushed. He lived just long enough to tell of the creature that attacked him. He had not been the first. There had been a logger only two days before, who had been out working when something or someone hit him over the head with a huge piece of logging equipment. Something that was impossible for a single man to lift. When they found his body, there was blood everywhere. Consumed by these horrifying thoughts, Leah jumped when a squirrel darted out in front of her and ran across the road. She held her hand to her chest, trying to calm her racing heart. This place, that she had called home for the last few years, had become a nightmare. As she walked down the narrow wooded road that led her to her family's house, she felt like she was being watched. It was probably just her own fear gnawing at her. It was no wonder, though. Her uncle's story was just one of many. School had been dismissed early, and there were whisperings amongst the kids that they had found bodies washing up on the shore. She overheard one of the older boys telling his friends that there were several bodies, and they had all been dismembered. This couldn't really be happening, surely. But it was, and people were beginning to panic. One by one, families were packing up and leaving. Leah didn't want to leave the home that she had fallen in love with. A sound from the forest pulled her from her thoughts again. Holding her breath, she stopped and listened. She didn't know why, but she had the distinct feeling that she was being followed. She wished now that she had waited on her older sister to walk home with her. It had been foolish with everything happening to take off on her own. Leah's family were originally from Russia, or at least her parents were. She and her sister were born in New Jersey. Her parents left with four other families because they feared their children were becoming too Americanized. That is how they ended up in Alaska. They spent most of the first year living in tents until they managed to build houses for each family. In the beginning, the community tried to live a subsistence lifestyle, harvesting their own vegetables. There was a gate to the community that reinforced the self-isolation they were seeking. Again, her mind began to recall all of the stories circulating around the town. There were some who thought a killer was on the loose, and others who thought a bear may have become rabid. But the scariest of all, and the most plausible, was that a Nantinok was roaming the forest. Her grandfather had told her that a Nantinok was a great hairy man-like beast. 
It had supernatural powers that it used to protect the forest. If it came near you, you would recognize it by its overpowering smell. The Nantinok would use its powers to make people ill. The first sign of this illness would be when you became dizzy, but shortly after, most people would vomit until they couldn't walk. If the Nantinok's powers failed to make people flee from its territory, it would then begin to attack and destroy every human it could find. This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the EerieCast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve Deshavi as they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the US. Each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode on Falconer, New York deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry, while Steve separately researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There are some seriously spooky haunted hotels out there, but ghost towns seem more frightening. These abandoned cities stretch all throughout America and are rumored to be extra eerie, but they weren't always that way. Most of them were once prosperous mining towns filled with people hoping to make it rich by discovering gold or silver. Now many have been untouched for over a hundred years, yet some still have a ton of historic buildings somehow still standing. There are ghost towns all over the U.S. if you're brave enough for a visit. They're located in Pennsylvania, Wyoming, Montana, Alaska, New Mexico, New York, West Virginia, and more. Not all of them are rumored to be haunted places, but some do have spirits of former business owners or residents wandering around the general stores or old jails, in some cases, even monsters. The reasons a town can die are many and varied. In some cases, the town was bypassed by a railroad or a highway. 
Other communities disappear simply because they have exhausted the natural resources which drew people to the area in the first place. Wars, natural disasters, political wrangling, and the like can all be reasons one community might be abandoned in favor of another. In the case of Portlock, the explanation is not so simple. In the 1940s, the town that had once been bustling with life was suddenly abandoned. Rumors of a hairy beast that reportedly attacked and killed hunters and farmers ran rampant. Dismembered bodies began to wash up on shore. Perhaps T. Lindsey Baker, author of Ghost Towns of Texas, said it best when he defined a ghost town as a town for which the reason for being no longer exists. Sometimes, though, you come across the story of a town that was abandoned for reasons other than those already mentioned. In a few cases, like Portlock, towns were deserted for reasons so unique and terrifying that they almost defy belief. Portlock lies on the southern tip of the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska, with only a few rotting buildings left of what once was a lively village. The village of Portlock was established when Captain Nathaniel Portlock of the Royal British Navy landed there in 1787. The town is said to have been named after Captain Portlock. It was an unexplored, beautiful area. The water was teeming with fish and the land had plenty of space for people to settle. The area had also been claimed by the Spanish and Russians until the U.S. purchase of Alaska from Russia in 1867. Early on, Portlock was established as a cannery, mainly in the canning production of salmon. A U.S. post office was opened in Portlock in 1921. While this was primarily a cannery town at that point, there was also chromite mining nearby at the mining site known as Chrome. Portlock Chatham Bay was also the site of a territorial boarding school for children from the surrounding smaller fish camps, mines, and villages. Brian Weed is the co-founder of a group called Janos Hidden History that primarily keeps track of things through their Facebook page. He has traveled all over Janos and many other Alaskan towns in search of natural history and stories. His group plans frequent hikes in the area to places that have some sort of story to tell or just to see the natural beauty of the state. This is Weed's account of what he has learned according to an article from KINY 94.9, a part of Genoa, Alaska Communications. Weed started the story with a peculiar death in the 1930s. A logger was out working and something or someone hit him over the head with a huge piece of logging equipment something that one man couldn't have lifted alone. When they found his body, there was blood on the equipment, and there was no way that one person could have done it. He was a good ten feet from the logging equipment, so it's not like he slipped, fell, and hit his head. It looked more like someone picked it up and bonked him over the head with it. Around the 1940s, it was reported that several doll sheep hunters had disappeared in the hills outside Portlock. It was also stated in a 1973 article from the Anchorage Daily News that dismembered bodies of some of the missing had washed ashore in the lagoon. There are lots of accounts of creatures being seen in the area, and Weed talks about those sightings too. The local natives started talking about a creature, a hairy Bigfoot-type Yeti monster, and it was called the Nantinok, or Big Hairy Creature as it was called. At the same time, 
The villagers talked about seeing a spirit of a woman dressed in black clothes that would come out on the cliffs above the town. They described her dress as being so long that she would have to drag it. She had a very white face and would scream and moan. The villagers would hear something, and then she would disappear back into the cliff face. In the 1920s, a man by the name of Albert Petka supposedly scared off the hairy creature with his dogs, but not before receiving a fatal blow to the chest. According to the stories, Petka survived to explain what happened, but died due to his wounds soon after. There are also reports, according to Weed, of prospectors and hunters going missing frequently to the point that it became commonplace. Their bodies were allegedly found in a creek as their limbs had been ripped off. A schoolteacher in the 1970s even talked about growing up in Portlock and told stories of people being afraid of what could be lurking in the night. Weed considered himself a skeptic and explained what the Nantinock could have been mistaken for. Maybe they were seeing an extremely large bear in the area. From, say, 100 feet, your brain has never seen a bear that big, so you put together an idea of what you think you saw. If the bear is standing up, say, in the 10 to 12 foot range, it may be the biggest bear you've ever seen, and so your brain may not put together that that's a bear. Maybe you're seeing it from a strange angle, or it's too close to trees so you can't see its whole shape. Regardless of his skepticism, there is something eerie about several groups of people being fearful of this same described monster. Weed stated that it's definitely an interesting story, but people swear by this. For the locals that grew up in the area, this thing has apparently existed for hundreds of years. There was a small village site at Portlock before it was founded, and those people had originally moved away. When the 1940s incidents started to happen, most of the Russian Aleuts actually moved out of the town for a year. The people running the cannery basically begged their co-workers to come back and they set up armed guards for a short period of time, trying to get the workers back in town. Monster or no, people abandoned Portlock in mass, leaving their houses, the nearby chromium mine, the cannery, the teacher cottage, and the large schoolhouse to return to the wilderness. Weed says that we can establish as the facts those people did leave the town. We know when the town and the post office shut down. We know that there were reported murders in the area. They called them murders, but they also included people that just went lost in those reports. We're not talking about a dozen people. We're talking like three dozen people. If we have a serial killer in that area at the time, they took out a lot of people in the course of 20 years. Weed said in his interview that he hopes to visit Portlock to do some exploring at some point in time. He said that he is hoping to camp for three or four days in the area and maybe set up some cameras just for kicks. He's not trying to do like a ghost hunter special or anything, but he would like to see if there are some big brown bears in the area and what might have been seen that would cause people to be spooked. He then explained how Janot's hidden history focuses mostly on things that are inherently true. Our group has always been about telling the truth and seeing what we actually see, taking pictures of stuff. Do we believe in ghosts, miners creeping around in tunnels, 
absolutely not. We've seen a few things that we couldn't explain at the time, but later as we investigated it was, oh, these rocks slid down because of the ice or the timber decided to finally break because it was all rotten. Do we think something touched it at the time? No. The group has many items they have collected over the years, including uncommon maps that they were given by collectors. Those items were then scanned at a high resolution and shared with the public. Weed has also pitched a television show to the Travel Channel that aired a pilot last April, with hopes that they can be picked up on in the spring of next year. He says that shows that take place in Alaska often do not show true Alaska, and that they hope to change that with their honest depiction of exploring the state. Residents in the nearby villages of Seldovia, Nanwalek, and Port Graham also report that the area is haunted, including Port Locke, Catham Bay, and Chrome, the site of the chromium mine. Former Port Locke local Melania Kell told the story, according to her memory, to the Homer Tribune. According to her statement to the Tribune, when she was only a baby, her family suddenly fled from their seaside home in Port Chatham, a community adjacent to Port Locke leaving their livelihood and all else behind. Her family was not alone. All the residents of Portlock left their lives behind in terrible fear. According to her, a Nantinock had been stalking the townsfolk, a local Sasquatch-like creature that is said to haunt the Kenai Peninsula. She believed her own godfather had been killed by the creature in 1931 when he was struck in the head in a manner that seemed beyond the strength of any human being. Despite being sighted in other regions of the Kenai Peninsula, the beast seemed to favor Portlock most of all, as whispers of a spirit preying on its people traveled throughout the settlements. Were one to write out all these stories, they would sound very familiar to those of us with even the slightest interest in cryptids. Hunters mysteriously vanishing, glimpses of a hairy beast stalking in the shadows of trees, mysterious sounds that seem to belong to no known beast. But despite this similarity, the stories of the Nantinock have been told far longer than those of Bigfoot. Whatever it was that prowled the wilds around Portlock, it clearly struck a deep and abiding terror in its people. By the early 1950s, Portlock was all but entirely abandoned, marked by the closing of the post office in town. You may not believe that an entire town could be terrorized by a rampaging wood ape to the point that residents would abandon it. You may feel the strange story of Portlock, Alaska is, at best, greatly exaggerated, and at worst, completely fictional. What you cannot deny, however, is that Portlock was once a thriving community, and that in 1949, residents left abruptly for no apparent reason. They left their houses, tanks, wharfs, pilings, and their livelihoods, and fled to the nearby villages like English Bay and Port Graham. Also true is that residents of these two communities refuse to visit the ruins of Portlock to this very day. These two facts alone give the story the ring of truth. Something happened on the Kenai Peninsula back in the 1930s and 1940s. Something bad bad enough to keep people away for almost 70 years. In the spring of 2021, Discovery filmed a reality television series in Portlock. 
The series, Alaskan Killer Bigfoot, follows a scout team exploring the ruins of the abandoned village. The series premiered on December 7, 2021, and according to the network, 70 years ago, a murderous Bigfoot-like creature sent residents fleeing from Portlock, Alaska. Now an expedition returns to the abandoned fishing village to reclaim the land and its resources from the terrifying beast locals call Nantinok. The team's 40-day sojourn in the icy Alaskan wilderness tests their mettle, their faith, and their ability to survive. According to its promotional materials, Alaskan Killer Bigfoot follows four men as they explore Portlock, near the tip of the Kenai Peninsula, and try to reclaim the land from the terrifying Bigfoot-like beast known as Nantinok, which reportedly sent villagers fleeing 70 years ago as it went on a murderous rampage. The show follows the team's 40-day stay in and around the village site. Episode titles so far announced include Village of the Damned, where the quartet receive a priest's blessing before setting out. The second episode, called It Knows We're Here, includes a visit from an historian and what is described as a stern warning from the creature. Episode 3 finds the crew discovering a mysterious obelisk in the forest and a psychic medium who wants to build a spiritual bridge to the creature, but panics instead. I managed to watch the first two episodes, and it seems very scripted, but the show does drop some very interesting facts. As of now, this series has only released two episodes, but let's hope that these men find what they're looking for, and not what they fear most. Leah made it home safely, but to her surprise found her mother, Anessa, in the kitchen packing. She told Leah that they would be leaving as soon as her father got home from work. He was an employee at the local cannery and lost two co-workers recently. They had disappeared while in the fields tending their sheep before the morning shift began. Neither of them had logged in for work that morning, and the next day a search party was sent out. No sign of either man was found. Leah's sister Maria arrived shortly after her, and together they packed up their shared room. It was a very quiet evening as everyone was subdued with the anxiety of packing as quickly as possible and the thought of the dangers that awaited just a short distance from their home in the woods. Her father had walked to work and left the truck so that they could get it loaded before he came home. After all, they were only taking the smallest belongings. The furniture would have to stay because they were not making another trip back to this place once they were gone. It was getting late and Leah's father had not returned home yet. The packing was done, and now she sat with her sister on the couch flipping through a book to kill time. Television was just a fad in the 40s, and something her parents thought was unnecessary. Leah looked up from her book when she heard her mom's voice from the kitchen. She had called the cannery to inquire about her husband's whereabouts. He should have been home hours ago. With a worried look, her mother hung up the phone. She explained to the girls that their dad was running late because there had been a meeting about the closing of the cannery. Apparently, there were not enough workers left to keep the factory running. Families were leaving the town in droves, in fear for their lives. Leah was saddened by this. She had already lost most of her friends as their families had packed up and moved. 
Her mother finally sat with them, and they all just drifted off into their own thoughts. It was a startle when her dad finally came barreling through the door as if a pack of wolves was chasing him. Leah watched spooked as he frantically ran through the house turning out the lights, with her mother chasing behind him demanding an explanation. Finally, after the house was dark except for the fire burning in the fireplace, he sits down between his two daughters and takes a deep breath. He looks up at his wife and she begins to speak, but he puts a finger to his lips urging her to be quiet. He then begins to tell them, all in a hushed voice, of what had occurred on his walk home after work. He tells them about being held over for the meeting and how shortly after he began his walk with two companions from the community. He said that they had parted ways as the other two men turned to head towards their own homes. He said he was being cautious and quiet, but was suddenly overwhelmed by a strong odor. He told them that he eventually had to stop and retch in a ditch on the side of the road. After he emptied his stomach, he felt better, but was startled when he heard something crashing through the woods. Immediately recalling many of the stories of others that had escaped the attacks of the beast that everyone was calling the Nantinok, he knew he had to run. As he ran down the soggy, snow-covered road, he heard something wailing behind him, and he could hear footsteps that seemed would overtake him. He knew that his life was in danger, so he never looked back. The wailing in the footsteps did not stop until he entered the house. That is why he turned out all the lights. Something was outside, and it was not friendly. Shortly after he finished his story, a strong odor began to penetrate the walls of the house. It was a stench so strong that it made Leah gag. Her mother urged them to take scarves and wrap them around their faces. They all sat with their faces covered, shaking in fear. An ominous, wailing howl was beginning to rise from somewhere outside. It started near the front of the house and slowly traveled all the way around. It has been many years since that night. Leah is a great-grandmother now. Her family made it through the night and escaped the small cursed town of Portlock, but to this day she remembers that night very clearly. She told the story to her children and grandchildren of how her and her family sat all night thinking it may be their last as they listened to the howls of the Nantinok. She tells them that the beast wanted to harm them and probably even kill them, but what it wanted most was for them to be gone. It wanted every man, woman, and child that had invaded its homeland to leave and never come back. So the next morning, that is what they did. They left their house and whatever belongings would not fit in the truck. They headed to a town far north of Portlock. They settled there and never moved again. Leah married and had children and passed down the stories of Portlock in hopes that the people she loved would never venture to go there. Anyone that you may talk to from Alaska, and especially the area around Portlock, will tell you that the place is cursed and is protected by a horrible beast that will kill to protect its land. No one actually knows if this beast was supernatural or just a deranged human, but whatever it is, it is enough to cause more than 30 people to be slaughtered or go missing. The village of Nanwaluk still maintains private ownership of Portlock 
and the community has been considering the possibility of re-establishing Portlock as a village. Let's just hope for their sake that the beast that terrorized so many people long ago has moved or died, because if it hasn't, there may be a repeat of the past. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts such as Unexplained Encounters and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Tune in next week as Freaky Folklore explores Krampus, the Christmas devil that punishes naughty children. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.